about this. You've never been at this exact moment in this exact place as this exact version of yourself before. Whoa. Whoa. I'm Bron Carley. And I'm Cindy Harville. We believe that when we approach the journey of life with curiosity, joy, and a desire to grow, we can have a powerfully positive impact on the world around us. Join us for conversations and explorations that will change your perspective, shift your mindset, and inspire you to get out there and spread the good stuff. Spread that good stuff. Hey, everyone. Today, we're speaking with Ali Guma Young. She is CEO of the Super Fundraiser. She's an entrepreneur, a rock star mom, and just a powerhouse of spreading the good stuff in the world. I'll give you a full introduction in just a minute, but wanted to remind you that this amazing episode is brought to you by the Good Stuff Network. Spreading the good stuff is truly about using your powerhouse skills and knowledge to make a positive impact in the world around you. And when you know how to attract the good stuff to you, it's much easier to spread it outward. So join Broncar and I for our live free virtual workshop on how to be a magnet for good stuff. Check out go.spreadthegoodstuff.com to learn more. It's going to be awesome. And let me introduce Ali Guma. Ali Guma Young, MBA, is CEO of the Super Fundraiser, Inc., a consulting firm, and Ali Guma Speaks, Inc., which provides diversity and leadership consulting. Ali Guma has raised over $150 million for organizations, including leading the capital campaign for construction of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights in Atlanta. That is epic. In addition to being a fundraising thought leader with over 15 years of experience leading fundraising efforts, Ali Guma is an internationally sought-after speaker on diversity, equity, and anti-racist culture building who has partnered with notable companies and organizations, including Microsoft, the Junior League, Tufts University, and Teach for America. She is a proud hashtag mompreneur. I love that of three amazing children. And she lives um, here neighboring us in Atlanta. Welcome, Ali Guma. Ali Guma. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. (laughs) I'm so excited. Ali Guma, we're going to have some fun. You are a powerhouse for real. And I remember the first time I met you was at the Spire event and we went around, you know, sharing sharing kind of what we do and who we are. And you just lit up. And I was like, who is this? Who is this? And I was like, we got to hang out. We got to, we, I mean, it was like instantaneous. (laughs) Yeah. And and so we've been hanging out. We've been hanging out a lot. And I, um, I have learned a lot about you and you're just a delightful human, a powerful human. Um, So many, so many amazing qualities. My first question for you is, in order to carry that energy, you got to feel alive inside. What what kinds of things make you feel alive? Mm, absolutely, it's the God in me. <laughs> All day, every day. <laughs> so, uh, there's a song, you know. Yeah, you know, Broncar, We share love of music and everything, and and there's a song that that goes, "It's the God in me," and that's that's it. it it's um, every morning I wake up, and the way I look at life is that I was blessed with the day. And God blessed me with certain gifts. And because of that, it's my responsibility to share that in the world. And I have a purpose and I understand what my purpose is. And 
it's for me to live out my purpose fully and to be the fullness of myself. And so that's what I do every day is I just live and try to push myself to always be the fullness of myself and to let, um, as a kid, my favorite song, uh, was, uh, this little light of mine. And I'd sing that to my kids. I used to sing it to them all the time, but only when they were, um, stressed or in distress, like if they were getting shot to the doctor or if we were on a plane or if it was something that I knew they would have a lot of anxiety and having a kid on the spectrum, <laughs> that happened a lot. But um, that's a song that comforts me because it just reminds me God's in me and that's my light and I got to let it shine. So that's where well, I love it. Thank you. And, you know, on that note, you say mom, mompreneur. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested in this because you are a parent of three uh, and you are still a powerhouse in the business realm. What what are some of the or one of what's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned in your journey of parenting? <laughs> yeah, only one. Just only one. one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what is this April 25th um it is, uh, honestly I think it's that the best way I can mom my kids is to be my best self and that's what makes me the best mom I can be like the more I'm pouring into me and I'm making myself better for them in every way, financially, personally, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. When I do that, that makes me a great parent. And when I don't, I'm not as good of a parent. And I can tell because there's a misalignment, not only within me, but also in my relationship with my children. And I see it in them and how they're operating in the world. So that's, I think I would say that's the biggest lesson I've learned. Yeah. And that's a big one. I mean, that's, that's, that's huge for everybody listening here, especially the parents, you know, it's like that can be counterintuitive and it, and no matter how many times we hear it, sometimes it just, you know, I know I've heard that before and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I got to do that, you know, whatever it is, but it's really, it really is, you know, be that thing that you want your kids to be the way you want your kids to see you as, as well. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I know sometimes for me, if I, when I switch off, uh, like kind of daddy mode and I'm like, all right, I'm going to like, I'm getting it done right now, guys. Like I got this project, I'm doing this thing. And they see that and they're like, wow, dad's in the zone. He's living his passion, you know? And they, they feel that no matter what I tell them, right. We show them something different. Well, you're not only better equipped to be patient and do what's needed of you as a parent, but you're also modeling that for your kids, that strength internally. So mm-hmm. I love that you said that because it applies to so many things in life. And no matter how many times I hear something similar to that, like even the feeling that I have in this moment, literally I feel an expansion in my energy. Like my energy has went out and I felt a little more relaxed hearing another parent say, you know what? Don't forget about you because you need to be that thing. And you need to demonstrate that. Again, it's like we have the lessons that we say, we have the routines that we do, but really what are we showing them? Like, how are we being? And we know that some of that less preferred behavior comes back as a mirror because we they mirror us, right? And you're like, oh, 
I dropped that yesterday. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my kids let me know. They let me know. <laughs> yeah. It was funny because when when Nico was t- when he was like two, he was or he was like two and some change. He was just starting to really get get language. And um, and I remember Cindy stubbed her toe. And she dropped a very specific trio of powerhouse uh, cuss words. No, I didn't. Oh, she did. She (laughs) nailed it. She hit like the three. She hit the three main muscle groups right there on it. It was like the three main. And she was like, bop, but the bop, but the bop. And she hit it so hard. And then the next day, Nico was like, bop, but the bop, but the bop. He did the same thing. And I was like, that was all you (laughs) i'm denying it yes no no yeah you knew it was you yeah yeah yeah. i do have a question for you ali guma um as a as a woman and as a mother and an entrepreneur if i you know women out there can identify with this it's really hard it's especially Mm -hmm. hard um and it and to do that to be able to keep yourself taken care of first which obviously we just talked about how important that is how do you maintain that for yourself? Like, how do you do that self-care or what we call staying in tune for yourself? Oh, I don't. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on that. Uh, God's working on me. <laughs> like, I would love to be able to say, oh, I figured it out, Cindy. This is what I'm doing. Here's my regimen. This is my, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm figuring it out. I'm literally every single day going, oh, like even this morning, um, I got up early and I found myself having almost like a panic attack and I couldn't figure out why I was like, what are you going through? What's happening? Like, what, what is this? So I was, and then I found myself, um, I, I've spent a lot of time in recent months just understanding who I am (laughs) because I realized that it's not just being confident about the things you do well and then leveraging that. And I, 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 that's definitely a first step in your individual development, but there's also a place where you have to look at yourself and say, Hey, this thing that I do is not good. It's not a good behavior or it's even a toxic behavior. And if you've been in toxic relationships, you do develop if you're in a relationship with someone, you develop toxic behaviors and patterns. And if you don't take time to look at that and see like, oh, well, how did I contribute to the problems? How was I um, a part of that? Then you don't grow, you don't expand. And so in doing so much of that work, I was able this morning to just kind of stop. And I just, I found myself because one of my habits is to start doing a lot of projects all over my house. So it's just like, wherever I'm walking, I'll start a project, but I won't finish it. So I'll see some laundry. I'll start folding it. And then I'll be like, Oh, let me go get some water. Then I'll go downstairs and start washing a dish. And then I'll be like, Oh, I need to send an email real quick. And then I'll go to my left. So then I'm doing this weird cycle all over my house. And if I'm not careful, I'll be doing that all day, especially if I don't have meetings that day. Because what it actually is, is that I'm out of alignment. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling some worries. And so I had to just sit down and say, what are you anxious about? Okay. Do you need to sit in those feelings? Do you need help out of those feelings? (laughs) What do we need? And that just doing a lot of that is my current kind of self-care. But I'm also in this practice of my big word was grace. 
of not putting so much pressure on myself to do self-care. Yeah. And I don't, and I know it sounds weird to say it because as I'm saying, I'm like, does that make sense? But it's almost like I'm such a type A and I'm so good at accomplishing things that if I say I'm going to start a new workout regimen, it's at all costs, but that cost could be my mental, my emotional, my spiritual, because I'm taking time away from one thing in order to do, because I only have so many hours in my day awake, awake to work. And so in those hours that I'm leaving for myself in this moment, while I am concerned about some of my health things, I'm more concerned about my stress levels because I'm experiencing a lot of stress externally and I need to make sure I stay grounded internally through this season. And so I'm like, okay, how can I do it? So then I signed up for a weekly class. So that starts this week. So it's a weekly workout class that I can go to. So it kind of is allowing me to say, yes, I'm addressing my physical health but I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to plan it. I don't have to manage it. And that's what causes me a lot of anxiety because I have anxiety. And so that's what activates it is when I'm trying to manage too many things. Yeah. And it sounds like you have some good techniques around, as you said, staying in alignment when you feel out of alignment, maybe you're feeling anxious. Um, Then it sounded like what you were saying was you actually talk to it. You actually pause. Are you in that moment, are you kind of talking to your higher self? Are you uh, like, what is, what does that look like as you communicate with yourself, um, you know, inside of that, inside of that process? What does that look like? I literally talk to myself in that moment. It's usually like, okay, what's going on? What we got? What's happening? You're feeling some feelings. Are they big? Are they small? Like, I just, I like literally talk to myself the way I would talk to one of my kids Um, one of the things that I've been trying to do more of is recognize and heal my younger self, um, from all the stuff and all the bad treatment over the years. And so in that, I usually do it as a, like talking to my younger self, but it's me talking to myself. And I, sometimes I'm in the mirror like, Hey, what's going on? What are we we doing? (laughs) What's happening? (laughs) I'll do, I have some affirmations, um, And so sometimes if I'm just not sure and I just feel anxious, then I'll just do affirmations in the mirror Mm, and I'll just do those. And it almost becomes meditative because then I realize that mentally and energetically, and I just believe so much in energy and the power and the connection between my thoughts and my energy. And so because of that, sometimes I'm just spiraling and I just have to acknowledge that. Like I'm in a spiral and it's just, I'm making it worse. So I got to get off and either talk to someone, listen to music, take a shower, do, do something that allows that to kind of settle down first. So I can process what's going on. Yeah. So you're breaking, you're breaking that pattern and you're changing your state. And it sounds like Mm -hmm. the first technique you shared there was literally talking into the mirror, which for anybody listening, hasn't tried that mirror work can be really powerful. There's a lot of variations in there, but, you know, saying positive affirmations to yourself in the the mirror is really incredible. And I know, you know, with some of the work we've done together, because you've gone through the instrumental humans program and things like that, you're in it right now, actually, uh, like 
putting those stickers or sticky notes or things like that on the mirror and saying them out loud as a reminder, the, the, the sticky note on the mirror reminds you to do the mirror work. It's like, Hey, don't forget to talk to yourself. Don't forget to pump yourself up. Go to, you know, be your own cheerleader. Um, so it sounds like that's a good technique. And then you also said a few other ones in there of, you know, I think you said taking a shower, talking to someone else, taking a walk, breaking it up, listening to music um, activities like that are also really powerful. That's, you know, support team, that's, you know, temperature changing and washing off, cleansing off, you know, getting that energy, you know, cleanse. Um, and is there a particular type of music that, that really helps you to, to change your state? Oh, I have several mixes. (laughs) So I have one for, I have a work mix. So like if I'm, having to do some work and I'm procrastinating a lot or feeling anxiety about a project. I have this, like, it's a Davido who's a, a Nigerian Afro uh, beat artist. And all of his music is just the instrumentation and it's peaceful. And since I don't understand the languages, then I don't get distracted by it. So it doesn't take my thoughts away because I'm not connecting it to anything. And I only listen to it when I'm working. So I actually connect it to a lot of productivity and success in work. So that's that. And then I have a morning mix. That's my morning, literally called morning shower. (laughs) That has a lot of, um, a lot of hip hop, a lot of you're amazing music, (laughs) a lot of (laughs) Lizzo. Um, I'm a huge big Sean fan. Um, which a lot of people are like, big Sean, really? He's a rapper. And, but all of his music is like me and his lyric, his lyricism is so phenomenal. And, like he has a, a a line when all the ha- all the faith you have is not all the faith you need. And it's in a song where he's talking about he just had faith. He took a risk on himself in his career and it turned out. And now he's really successful, but he had been dreaming about it, thinking about it, planning for it. And that's his whole like kind of his whole orientation in his music is about like setting yourself up, setting a goal, but then also recognizing when you make mistakes. So that's my big like go-to in the mornings. And then I have other like, oh, I need to get hype because I'm feeling low today. I've got, so I have them and they're labeled by purpose. My kids have mixes. So they'll be like, can I have my soccer mix on the way to practice? Or can I have my, can we have our morning mix on the way to school? So yeah, that's a big thing for us. <laughs> yeah, you got like the playlist for life, you know, mm-hmm. different. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great because, you know, my belief is music is the atmospheric navigator for our lives. And when we can engineer, consciously engineer music, that can be that amplifier. And like you were saying, the instrumental music or non-English music that isn't somebody talking at you for work, that can really set the tone for productivity and help in- amplify your productivity, enhance your productivity. Um, Cause it gives you that beat, but it's not distracting where it's like, Hey, talk, 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 talk. It's like, well, yeah. I don't need to stop and listen to that person's message. I'm actually using the vibrations to carry me and then ride that wave into my productivity and my conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. That's, that's mm-hmm. powerful. I love that you have all those different mixes too. That gives me great inspiration for, for mixes for like car mixes for our kids. Cause right now it's like with our youngest, he loves it or 
I don't love that mom. I don't love this song. So yeah. it's almost like we have a love this or don't love this mix right now. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I'll send you some, uh, Cindy, I'll send you some of the ones I have for the kids. Um, they're mostly, it's a lot of old school stuff um, and reggae. I will say a few of the songs I've had to remove from the list because after, you know, after when you hear it from your memories, it sounds different. Yep. When you hear it with a six-year-old in the car around the fifth time when you're actually listening to words and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't let, oh, wait. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so. More lessons that we learned from our children. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 quick side note, I had this exact experience a few weeks ago when Nico, our you know youngest, the dragon, he was sing, he was just riffing in the morning and he was riffing a song and it sounded just like a tool lick, like the band tool. And it was like sober. It was like, bum, 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 bum. and he was singing. I was like, dude, you're singing sober. I was like, that is hot. And I was like, I got to put that on for you. And we got in the cars, the family, all four of us. And I put it on and then the lyrics dropped. And I'm like, this is so incredibly inappropriate right now. <laughs> and I looked over at Cindy and she's just sitting there with her arms crossed, just like, <laughs> Head. Like, how did you not think the lyrics are so over the top intense for like a four year old and a six year old? It's like so it couldn't be more obvious. And so, um, yeah, but we were already in it. I was like, well, we're already listening. How I can't stop it. You know what I mean? And we're here so, now. Yeah, I let the song play out. And I was like, okay, that'll be the last time we hear that for a while. But um, luckily, that wasn't repeated. Yeah. After the fact, by them. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to shift over to the the, the nonprofit, uh, you know, fundraising stuff a little bit. What got you inspired to get into that uh, that realm? Um, my mom is a retired professor of social work, and growing up, she initially was a social worker, and is and came to the U.S as to study and for us, her kids from Uganda. And I saw the difference that it made when you have access to opportunities. Um, and so I've always understood that there were haves and have nots and that you need supports in order to get access. And so to have that orientation and then to be raised by somebody who was so, um, and is, I'm not saying, I'm saying was, <laughs> she is still alive very much. <laughs> hey mom. <laughs> but she was, is so, um, she's definitely going to listen to this. <laughs> she is so, um, much a conscious individual in terms of fighting for liberation and freedom and access for people globally. And that's how she raised me to be so that when I was working in, I was working in a corporate job and someone reached out to me that I really respected and valued and trusted as a mentor um, with an opportunity. And I'd always been, I've always, I describe myself as an activist at the core. First and foremost, I am an activist. I've always been in every space I've ever occupied. And um, because I believe so deeply in equity 
And so when she reached out and was telling me about this job and was asking me, she was like, hey, you know a lot of people. Can you share this opportunity? And the more she was sharing to do to be a fundraiser, I was like, hey, I could do that. I can I can sell stuff. I can I can talk about stuff. I care about people. <laughs> so she took a chance and thank God. Um, she said, hey, you know, take a chance on me, move your family to DC and I'll teach you what I know and see if you like it. Yeah. And here I am. Uh, there you go. Almost 20 years later. Amazing. Can you define, because you said at the core, you define yourself as an activist. Can you yes. define that uh, for us? What is your definition of, you know, that being an activist? In my mind, there's people who are aware, so they know there's a problem. There are people who are allies, so they support those who are challenged by that problem. And then there are people who are activists who are actively seeking to solve that problem. And so that's how I see those different spaces. And in my practice as a diversity practitioner, that's how I lead sessions is helping people to orient of just make a definition. There doesn't have to be one definition. You can make a definition for yourself and then share it with people and say, this is why I use this word. And this is why I may describe you as an ally versus an activist. So for me, when people talk about diversity programming, I see them as allies. When people talk about anti-racist dismantling of systems, I see them as activists. And that's where it's about your journey in the work. Wow, that's amazing. I love your definition. You know, you were saying, you know, kind of like, you know, you were talking about being a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And it's almost like the thought that came into my mind there was, because then you were like, you know, definitions and things. And then in my mind, I was like, oh, you're doing like, you're like solving human problems. It's like human mathematics. Like you're Mm -hmm. seeing equations and you're like solving them by putting this in here and that in there. And you're saying, oh, look, we can actually get this harmonious, you know, solution here to this complex algebraic, you know, equation. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much because that's exactly what it is. And when I think about, and I say this often that fundraising is my activism because When you talk about what I do as a fundraiser, the first thing I'm doing is elevating a problem. So I'm bringing awareness. Then I need to figure out how to get that message out. So that's the first problem I got to solve is how do I get the message out? And then how do I get that message out in such a way that people actually receive it as it was intended? Versus just receiving messages because people receive messages all day, every day. And so what is it that I need to do to make sure that they're receiving it as I intended, that could be a whole field in and of itself, which it is, which is public relations and marketing. Mm. (laughs) Then we're talking about, okay, well, how do I fund these great ideas that I have of telling people about this? I need money. Okay, well, who's going to give me the money? And then what am I going to do with that money? That's your fundraising and your finance. I got to understand that. And then who's actually going to do the work once we have this money? 
and people know about it, that's my capacity, my human capital. So I've got to have the right people doing the right jobs in the right time. And that's a whole equation in and of itself. And then when you put all of that together, for me as a fundraiser, I have to be able to look at a problem and say, these are all the pieces that are needed in order for us to have a solution. And this is how we're going to actually implement that solution by doing this set of steps. And I love it. I love it every day because that's my superpower. My superpower is I have a strategic brain. I can see anything. I can hear something. And my mind just instantly goes into ordering it into steps. I'm looking at what's your outcomes, what problem are you trying to solve? It backtracks it into these are the steps you're going to take. This is how much money it's going to cost. This is your budget. This is who you're going to need. And then, oh, I know this person and I know that person and I know this is how you can get funding and this is how you can get that paid for. And that's how my brain has always worked. Now I just learned how to hone it within my purpose. Wow. So that's what it does. So many moving parts there. I love it. It's, I mean, it's the typical, you know, glacier analogy of, you know, you see the tip of the glacier, there's so much underneath and it's, you know, once you start to ask the right questions and you start to unpack, you're like, wow, there's so many moving parts to this, uh, this one seemingly maybe significant or insignificant or whatever, but this one element and underneath that, it's like, whoa, skill upon skill upon skill upon skill upon sub-skill, 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 sub-skill to make this one moment right here. Yeah. And that's, I would say, honestly, that's why I started this company, the Super Fundraiser, is because people did not understand that about fundraising. And for me as a fundraiser, um, I kept getting fired. And when I say that, people are like, how did you get fired? You weren't raising money? Oh, no, I was raising a lot of money. Well, you weren't, were you having conflict with coworkers? Oh, no, people loved me in the spaces where I was. Oh, well, what was the problem? The problem was is people didn't understand the challenge of what I was being asked to do and the resources that I actually needed to be successful. And so the things that I was doing, it was the equivalency of saying, hey, you're a five-star Michelin chef. I need you to make a five-course meal on an open fire with a can of beans and a can opener. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the experience for probably 99.9% of fundraisers across the country, which is why the average tenure for a fundraiser is 18 months. It's 12 to 18 months at any organization. That's across race, gender, et cetera. But when you start talking, bringing in those other identities of me as a Black woman, then I'm under more scrutiny. I'm held to a higher standard of expectations. I'm typically brought in as a last Hail Mary, so to speak. Um, there's a whole article that just came out in the Chronicle of Philanthropy about this phenomena of bringing in leaders of color and women into organizations right before they're about to explode. And so right before... There's when there's a lot of financial problems, when there's been a long season of just chaos, that's when they quote unquote take a chance on a woman leader or a woman of color. But you're kind of getting set up for failure because you don't have the resources, you don't have what you need, and everything is on fire. 
And so that was literally my experience in almost every role that I was in and in every situation. Yeah, the fires got put out, but we weren't able to do that bigger piece. And so that's why I started the the super fundraiser to help organizations put the fires out before they hire somebody so that that person can come in to an organization that has all of their equation in order. You understand how your marketing is tied to your fundraising. You understand how your human resources processes is tied to your fundraising. If someone has a horrible experience interviewing with your organization and then they go to work for a foundation, guess how much money you're getting? (laughs) It doesn't matter that you weren't there as executive director and you weren't the head of development at that time. They don't care because people remember how you made them feel. And that's it. And when you have, when you're able to walk into an organization where all of those things are in place, it's a completely different experience, not only for that individual, but for the whole organization. Yeah. Yeah. Who are some of the, like, if if somebody's listening right now and they're really digging what you're throwing down, they're picking it up. um, How can, first of all, how can they get in touch with you? Yes. My website, thesuperfundraiser.com. Thesuperfundraiser.com. Yes. Excellent. And then who are the types of people that you love to work with? Like those perfect situations you're talking about. Who who do you love working with? What we are really excited about right now is because we're opening the Super Fundraiser University to offer more coaching. And that's what I'm excited to do more of. I'm excited to do a lot of coaching at the intersection of strategy and diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I think too many organizations have been doing the work in silos and separately and saying, oh, we need to have good strategy and we're working on on that over here. And then, oh, we need to improve in our diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we're working on that over here. But what I understand is that those things are are one. You have to have an equitable strategy and an equitable culture of excellence in your organization. Otherwise, you're you're going to be doing twice the work for no reason. And you're not going to do either well, quite frankly. So the the thing that I'm really getting excited about doing now is more coaching with people who are ready to be coached. So what I also see is that, and I do probably about three to five um, discovery calls a week with people who say, we need money, help us get money. (laughs) And I love it. And I love having those conversations because it helps me to understand what the needs are and what the challenges are. And it helps me to also provide supports to people in those conversations. But what I see is that most people just want you to give them a solution. They want you to give them staff. They want you to give to do it for them. They want grant writers, those things. And what I'm hoping to do more of is help people to see that if they can shift some mindset things, if they can shift the way they're working, if they can be more strategic about the work that they're doing, both in the nonprofit world and in the for-profit spaces, they're going to be infinitely more successful, but especially in nonprofit organizations. Love it. Strategy. We have one of the two of us is incredibly strategic and I am so grateful for them. 
Because he's always like, great, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. You're talking to so-and-so. You're going to the, why? What's the, where's it all going to? How are we funneling it into a, a central nervous system? You know, and that mm-hmm. obviously we have the good stuff network, you know, and that's, you know, a lot of, you know, it's all going to that so we can spread more good stuff. But it's like, what's the, what's the strategy behind this? Like, why are you going and going to that meeting or going to that networking event or going, get on an airplane and going to, or whatever the thing is, why, you know, so strategy, mm-hmm. strategy, strategy. It is, it is game changer for sure. Um, Absolutely. So, so we're, we're all about obviously spreading the good stuff here. And you know that because, you know, we've been working together and you're, you're just, you're, you're such, I, lo- I always love seeing your face, you know, in the instrumental humans program. And like, you're just awesome. And you ask great questions and you get great answers to your great questions. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what is it that you, as you, cause you spread the good stuff every day, you do lots of intentional acts of kindness. You are constantly building other people up. I see that in you. What is what is that good stuff legacy that you want to leave behind? Hmm. You know, I, it's really my kids. Like I really just want people to, the way you just talked about me, I feel like that's my mother's legacy. And I want that from, for my kids. I want that in, 30 years and 40 years when people interact with my children that they're saying, Oh my God, I just love them so much. And I hear that now. And that is what, that's why I don't have trouble sleeping at night. Cause I know every night that when my kids go to play dates, when they start new programs, when they started new schools, people love them. They adore them. They treasure them. They protect them. And that's because of who they are, because I'm not in those spaces with them. And so the fact that they are good people in the world and that I know they have good friends and they have they make good relationships with people. And so that for me feels like the the spreading of the good stuff that feels like the legacy that I care most about is who they become and not in material success, but in how the world sees them and most importantly, in how they see themselves in the world. Wow. That's amazing. Ali Guma, you're an inspiration to me for sure. I love the way you show up and shine your light and broadcast your music to the world. It's really powerful. Just thank you so much for for sharing everything that you did and just and chatting with us and yeah. and I just wanted to mention again your website thesuperfundraiser.com if anybody wants to check out more of what you do and um, get in touch with you and um, yeah you're you are an inspiration and we so much appreciate you being on our our podcast yeah absolutely sister it's really a delight so thank, thank you, you so much for showing up everybody listening here thank you for tuning in and make sure you check out Ali Guma's work she is a powerhouse an amazing human activist ally all you probably fit into all categories of all things there so keep shining your light sister much love to you and thank you everybody for listening today and we will see you next time on spreading the good stuff <laughs> I love your ending there. Yeah. Spread the good stuff, y'all. Spread the good stuff. We're in Georgia. All right. Shoot, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Spread the Good Stuff podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then join our community at spreadthegoodstuff.com forward slash community. In addition to this podcast, the Good Stuff Network puts on group programs, live events, and retreats, all infused with music, meditations, laughter, and real authentic connections with amazing human beings. If you got some value today, do us a favor and spread the good stuff by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Spread that good stuff.